0: Since our vision is to grow you know, by the community, with the community, with the other founders. So when I say community, I basically mean
1: other founders. Hello everybody, I'm KP, and welcome to Million Dollar Exits, a special segment on my main show, The Building Public Podcast. In this interview series, I sit down with founders who went from an idea to building a business and then eventually selling it for over a million dollars, hence the name Million Dollar Exits. This is something I'm very passionate about and curious about at this point in my career. I want to learn and share all the insights, mindset shifts, lessons, and non-obvious tips that are part of this unique journey with the next wave of founders who want to take this path as well. So buckle up and get ready to be inspired and informed. Here's a special shout out to our episode sponsor, Paralect.com. Million dollar ideas come from every possible niche. If you're a busy domain expert in marketing, sales, finances, or healthcare, and don't want to spend six months just to build an MVP, you'll find Paralect super valuable. Paralect is a venture studio built to design, build, and launch a product for you that is ready to sell in under two months. Start with no code or go full stack right away. Simply focus on growing your early adopter community and build in public, and they'll take care of the rest. Build your million dollar startup with Paralect.com. In today's episode, you will meet John Rush. John is the founder of MarsX, which is a dev tool that's making $1.5 million in annual recurring revenue with over 20,000 developers in the ecosystem. John has been a software expert and entrepreneur for over 15 years and has made multiple acquisitions, including Unicorn Platform. By the way, you might remember that we had the founder of Unicorn Platform, Alex Azora on the podcast earlier this year, and that's how I got to know about John. On this episode, we went deep into the trenches talking about AI, John's vision for MarsX, how and why he acquired the Unicorn platform, and his advice on how to validate new ideas for bootstrap founders. I had a blast recording this episode and hope you'll find value in it too. With that said, I bring you John. Enjoy. Hello, everybody. Welcome. And I'm your host, KP. And today we are here to um, do another interview um, on the Million Dollar Exits podcast. I'm super thrilled to invite John Rush into the show. John, welcome to the show.
0: Hey, thanks for having me.
1: John is joining us from Istanbul, which is his uh, home now for for four for years almost. Um, and we were just riffing about the tech scene in Istanbul. Like, so, John, um, let's start there. How would you describe um, the sort of the blossoming tech slash indie hacking scene in Istanbul? What What are some observations you have there for... Any of the listeners who might be curious
0: yeah four years ago when i arrived here like i think there was no tax scene as as we know it now so there were a couple of bigger big startups acquired by big other big startups but now i think the in the tech scene is really gro- growing fast here uh because the new generation of turkish people is uh, looking at the West, and uh, and they want to get this financial independence. And uh, they use Twitter a lot. Twitter is one of the most popular networks here. And uh, every few days, I find somebody on Twitter, who is actually from Istanbul, while I was like, not searching particularly for that, right. So that's kind of good. And uh, I'm meeting people uh, who are doing other projects. And uh, I like it here. So I think uh, in the next maybe 10 years, Istanbul probably will be one of the best growing, uh, you know, tech scene for indie projects, like not the VC-backed projects, but this, you know, bootstrap, self-funded stuff uh, in Europe. I-, I have high bet on that.
1: Right. I, I love I love that vision um, because a lot of our listeners are self-funded or bootstrapped. I think I'm personally, I also had two bootstrap startups this year, you know, both SaaS, mm. um, and we can get into it in a second, but like, I feel like you can go a long way in 2023 with just bootstrapping, right? With the rise of no code and AI tools and the, sort of the, you know, the it was very expensive to, to uh, run servers and like to have all these advanced functionalities for a lot of the SaaS ideas you may have in the past. But now the costs are going down, which means you can take more shots, you know? Um, what is, I mean, you've been in the game for, 15 years in the Exactly. Since
0: 2008. Yeah. Yeah. So, exactly. how would you characterize,
1: like, if you have to divide this into three or four eras, you know, and you're from your own career, yeah. like, how would you characterize the trends of, like, 20, 2006 to, you know, maybe five years later and then five years later? Yeah.
0: So, it started very different than it is now. So, I remember when I was in university, like, uh, we all want to build something, uh, but, you know, we were not, uh, like, The world back then was not the web, it was applications, uh, games, so people would either think about the game, a lot of people would build game uh, back then, and then uh, others would think about some, you know, this desktop application that that's a file at the end, and then you would kind of distribute some somehow. and that was the beginning Uh, and then suddenly uh, the web came in Facebook uh, movie came in uh, and we all saw the movie uh, uh, the social network and then uh, we all started building some web stuff and uh, yeah so it was like five years of building web stuff Uh, it was easy so you wouldn't really need funding that we didn't even think you can get funding so until 2012 uh, getting funding was nearly impossible for most developers. Like in my network, and I had a large network, like hundreds of developers, there was nobody who got funding. We knew one guy who got funding, right? Uh, and uh, like he would tell the, the stores in the university about that case, how they got funding. But it was very rare. So the VC scene was quite small. But then in, in 20, uh, 2012, things changed. So the VC scene just you know exploded, especially in Oslo. Like Oslo was uh, having no scene at all, and then suddenly the government put money into the startups, and then the VCs come in. And from 2012 uh, to 2018, like this is large kind of a chunk, like six years, it was very easy to get money. Uh, almost everybody I knew was running a startup. And almost everybody I knew managed to raise uh, VC round, at least seed round. Uh, so things were going quite well for that sake. Right. Uh, and But uh, one observation that was quite interesting. So the people who started early, who went through this struggle of not having VC funding mm. and you know doing it on their own. And then when we got the money, it really helped us. Right. But then the people who came into the game uh, and get money straight from the beginning, uh, like the failure rate there was huge. Like in in my batch, uh, where I was uh, in in like 2010, like the first batch, it it was basically the first 10 startups of Norway, I would say. Mm. Like we had four unicorns. Wow. Yeah, it's it's Kahoot probably, you know, the company. Yeah, Kahoot,
1: yes. Wow. Yeah
0: that's our batch. And we have same investors and then uh, Xaneta and you know, two more. So it was really good batch and uh, very successful, uh, you know, four unicorns, and the rest did well as well, right. Mm. Uh, But then the next one was worse, and then it was worse and worse. (laughs) right? so that's what I basically had in this regular startup world until 2000. um, Like 2018, I guess. And then in 2018, I entered this indie world, like bootstrap, self-funded, solo, etc. And uh, I did that because I made some money before. I had, uh, you know, this uh, portfolio of investments I made. Uh, I've been doing angel investments and then uh, I had uh, startups I co-founded. So I had this uh, revenue stream coming and I didn't really want to have an exit, because if you have an exit and you have a lot of money, uh, you have to think how to store it. And that's right. not easy, I yeah. would say. And, and then I thought, it's, it's better I have revenue and I use it for my next ventures. And then I right. you know, turned into this world. And uh, there I am, like uh, fifth year. I'm in this. Uh, I, I'm not solo. I have co-founder. I have large right. team. I have a lot of people around me. But first two years, I was alone completely, doing everything mm-hmm. on my own. Uh, and it was cool. Like after having you know large teams and expectations and investors and everything, running the stuff yourself on your own pace, own speed, is kind of fun, but not yeah. for too long, right? Like yeah, once people it... start using your product, it's not fun. It's fun if right. nobody is using your product.
1: <laughs> <laughs> once you have people that expect you know great things, and you're like, oh, now you gotta you gotta ship at that velocity yeah. and like, you know deal with the sub- you get a boss. Right, you you get micro micro bosses, right? Um, (laughs) Exactly. So, you know, that's fascinating. So let's talk about, you know, your biggest focus area now, right? Which is um, MarsX. And I want to understand how would you sort of describe what Mars is for for the listeners?
0: Yeah, so the main goal of Mars is to accelerate software development. And we do it through reusing uh, ready-made micro apps. So all these years when I was building stuff, uh, every project we would have to build kind of from scratch. Like, right. You know, the user profile, the search, the gallery, like all the features. We would manage to reuse some stuff, but, you know, as time goes on, uh, the, the stuff you've written two years ago, like nobody wants to use that code anymore, right? It's just right. like not a cool code. Yet. And uh, I just realized that there's no good way to reuse your own code and the code of the others. And then I thought like, it's kind of really, really bad for the overall progress. It's like in science, uh, if you do something, you can use all this stuff other people have done, all the papers, right. everything, right? right? But in software, you pretty much start from scratch every single time. Like, you mm. know, 1,000 teams in the world right now sit down and write Uber code, like another, like, you know, 1,000 versions of the same thing, right? right? Airbnb, Uber, and all those things. And I felt like uh, it is—it has to be changed—and then uh, you know that was like why, why we started Mars. So it is uh, the micro reusing platform, I would say. But it, it's a lot more than that, right? It's—it has its own IDE, and then the, the second big thing we have is that we realized that people actually uh, struggle on picking no code, low code, and and professional code. You have to pick one at the beginning, and then you can't mm. really change. Uh, mm-hmm. And then we thought, like, what if we do something that you can actually switch within the same project at any time between the interfaces, and then wow. you don't have to choose. Like, you know, some parts of your application are, are really, you know, going well with no code, and some are uh, need pro code experience and then right. uh, now we added AI there uh, so it's kind of like you know three interfaces on top of one project and below the project you have hundreds of micro apps they that, that you can take and use and then uh, you basically save like nine five percent of the time and then five
1: percent is left to actually build what's not there and to connect things together right it's brilliant I mean so I'm just reading out some of the stats around Mars uh, it's 1.5 million. ARR, correct. Yeah. It was the last based on your Twitter bio, twenty thousand devs um, and three hundred plus micro apps in the showcase. That's that's crazy. That's amazing. Like I'm curious when you say three hundred plus micro apps in the showcase, um, is it is it that the, these twenty thousand developers or whoever like basically these these are apps that were built by other people using Mars um, that someone brand new can come in and then also reuse that yeah. or yeah. Okay. Yeah.
0: So the idea here is that uh, comparing to other platforms, which want to you know build everything on their own and then kind of provide it to the users, like like, like Superbase or like uh, now all of them, uh, we realized that it's really difficult to actually do that because. Time moves on, and the code gets obsolete really fast. Fast, you know. Uh,
1: and then, and if the centralized you do that, approach, as opposed yeah. to a decentralized approach,
0: exactly, right? exactly, exactly. So uh, the only way to do well is to decentralize this, so that you mm. can move really fast, or you have to burn insane amount of money to have a lot of people creating stuff. And we had that option. Like we had actually, you know, in two thousand twenty, we had enough investors interested in Mars who wanted who know pitched in the idea that let's raise in a, a lot of money like you no know, 50 or 150 million dollars to actually have uh, you know one team per micro app and then we have you know like uh, 400 developers building that stuff mm-hmm. and uh, we didn't go for that and we didn't go for that why because uh, you know, it's not like you have to just build those things once and then you have them, you have to keep building them. It's like right. little products, right? Mm. You need owners of those little products. Mm. And then I realized that there are a lot of people outside Mars who want to build products and own the products and make money on those products. And uh, and here are the products
1: you can kind of build and own and, and make money on So when it's It's actually quite fascinating because I don't know if I've ever came across come across anything like this, John, you know, especially fully coded that just is very new to me i mean the the nearest analogy that I have from my no code world is I feel like you know webflow for a while I don't know if they still have it, but they had this concept of clonables right where hmm. they would they would like highlight you know community um coded uh, webflow templates that anybody who just joined can go in and then clone you know, and use it, mm-hmm. right? Uh, I don't know. It, it might have morphed into something now, but that was a brilliant move, you know, by uh, because they're not relying on just the core team of Webflow developers to do this on the team. They're relying on the community, you know, yeah. um, to come together and, like, come up with some really creative um, Webflow websites. I think, I don't know if I've seen anything with the code side of it, right? Like, that's just... Well, you know uh
0: when we started that, and when I was pitching this to investors, and I pitched this to two hundred investors, <laughs> like wow, uh, yeah, because I was from that world, and I wanted to go yeah. the VC way, and yeah, 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 and, yeah. and I kind of went that way, and I just kind of you know canceled in the middle because I just realized that it will harm the project. I realized that if we have VC funded company, uh we can't execute on the vision of uh, sharing. Uh, you know, the whole project with everyone, because now it's not just mm. that others can build stuff, but others can build and kind of co-own the whole platform and, and the system with us, right? And and that's right. different comparing to, you know, uh, other kind of plugins, etc. because your plugin can be just kicked out of the system and you're, you're out of the business, right? But in our case, uh, you know, we kind of have different model. But uh, now, you know, this year, so my prediction back in 2018 was that, uh, In four or five years, uh, all you know, all ID slash no-code slash uh, platforms will realize this. They will realize Mm -hmm. two things. First, they have to uh, you know uh, involve the community to build the stuff, right? Right. That's one thing, right? And we see that, like you know, the uh, Replit has bounties, and then uh, Superbase now is paying people for creating plugins for Superbase, and Versal is is just be putting high PR to everyone who built stuff for Verso. So it's like, it's really big now and and we'll just grow. Uh, Mm. So we will see a lot of you know, the the, the pro code environments start doing that. And that's happening already. Right. But we've been doing that from the beginning. So we're kind of far ahead of the game. Mm. Uh, But it's not difficult to explain this stuff to people today. It yeah. was extremely that no it, it sounds obvious now, but you in, right. in, in, in four years ago when I talked to people, they said like, uh, why nobody's doing that? And you know, uh if it was good people would be doing that, right. etc.
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's brilliant. This is a good segue for us to talk about um unicorn platform, right? And uh, I brought on Alex um on the podcast, you know, which is something that you said you watched, so he gave yeah. his version of how Mars acquired, I mean, you acquired uh, Unicorn Platform. It was a great episode. We had so much fun. And he, in the middle of the episode, like four or five times, kept saying, Kippy, you have to bring John on for this. You have to <laughs> talk to John about AI, you know, all that. So here's, here's us now giving a shout out to Alex. Um, so tell us the story of the Unicorn Platform acquisition, you know, from your lens, John.
0: Yeah. So since our vision is to grow you know, by the community, with the community, with the other founders. So when I say community, I basically mean other founders. So for Mars to succeed, we have to gather like 300 founders under one umbrella where every founder is actually independent and, uh, you know, gets all the good part of being a founder. And we kind of take away all the bad parts of being a founder. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like, like the dream place to be. <laughs> and uh, and then we had you know we had a lot of microbes to be built. Some were built, some were not built yet. And then I had the profiles of the people I needed. Like I had profiles of the people with the type of the product they're building. And one of the profile was a no-code landing page builder. So I just went on the internet and I just tried... Uh, all no-code landing page builders. And I really loved Unicorn. It was uh, like, you know, it was not as advanced uh, as the others or, or you know, um, like it was not having so many features and it was quite strange. It was like, you know, just one guy and uh, it, it didn't look like, <laughs> like like a real company. But, you know, from other hand, I kind of felt like there's somebody who really, really puts thoughts into every little click and a feature and text on this product. And, you know, uh, those kind of people are really, really good at, uh, you know, building products. And I I thought, like, one thing that I want to acquire the no-code tool that already has users so that we could just, you know, swap that with our micro app, and basically our micro app would just get, you know, faster to the market because the alternative is to just, you know, uh, promote them one by one. But then I thought like if we, you know, build one and then we buy one and then kind of merge all of those things together, then we suddenly, you know, far ahead. And then the other right. thing is that uh, I don't just need the project. I, just, I also need the founders to join our, you know, we call it Marsverse. And then um, I followed Alex <laughs> for one it. year. So I followed him for even a year and a half. He didn't even know that. Mm. So I, right. I I read every tweet he wrote. I I read <laughs> uh, everything, basically. I was like a spy on him, <laughs> right? I don't think there was anyone in the world who was watching him more than me <laughs> in that year. Uh, it was not only him, it was like 10 people I kind of right. shortlisted. Uh, and he was uh, like, in my opinion, so much better exactly at that landing page stuff. Mm. And also I saw that he was so good at uh, some of the things I'm not good at. Mm. And then I I felt like this really good fit where I made uh, the project that, that's kind of popular. Uh, mm-hmm. so that we can merge it with our micro because we had the same micro within Mars and then uh, I want that stuff to be run by someone not not employee but someone who actually cares right. and then I needed somebody for Mars who could help me with certain things and I saw that Alex is the guy who can help me with those things so it was like perfect like there, there was no one in the world better than Alex for for that kind of uh, avatar I I built in my head and then I started talking to him so and it was quite quick so i had one Wait, chat did you, with you
1: in your first chat or in your first conversation did you bring up the concept of acquisition or was it just to kind of get a feeler of the founder? Uh you know it, it was funny like it felt like we
0: all we both knew okay. what we're going to talk about i don't know why uh and uh, in one chat we just talked about everything so we just started talking uh and by the end of the conversation we agreed about the deal and that was like, <laughs> wow. really fast. I think it's like... No, so uh, I'm actually... The other thing the I'm, fastest, curious is, did he, yeah. I'm curious
1: is... I'm curious, did he put any feelers out there about wanting to exit? Or no, wanting to no,
0: buy? no, never. So there was no... Even a little sign of him wanting to sell it, right? And... Uh, like, so your pitch me, was really persuasive then on that
1: call. You must uh, have really convinced yeah. him. <laughs> yeah,
0: I, I, I think it's uh, it's next after that. Uh, do you want to sell sugared water or, yeah. <laughs> or change the world? I think it's next one after that.
1: <laughs> right. It's Steve Jobs. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Uh, that's awesome, man. Because, you know, it's it's very hard to get get a founder who's committed and who's so like him. He's so obsessed and committed and driven about the platform to, you know, to say, all right, just sell this to me now. Um, I'm sure yeah, you... Yeah, but he wouldn't
0: sell point. it uh, on a traditional acquisition. Yeah. like He wouldn't sell it for cash. Uh, and yeah, that's yeah, it, yeah. right? Yeah. So, and, and you know, uh, I watched him for such a long time that I had very good feeling on uh, what he really wants i saw yeah. him struggling with stuff he didn't want to struggle with right and i felt like he would really benefit from from us taking that struggle away and giving him more space in the stuff he really loves doing yeah. like, like product and
1: marketing yeah so you know one thing that came to mind when you were talking about sort of bringing some of the best founders into marsverse and letting them be themselves it's yeah. a very refreshing idea john because I, I i think um, I feel like it has a lot of potential, even beyond you know um, the scale it is right now. You know, I'm trying to think about it for the next 20 years, 25 years. Yeah. You know, it reminds me of like what you know what Disney has done. You know, for you know, if you say like Marvel's series is like it's independent on its own, right? Like Marvel's got yeah. its own set of movies, but it's still Disney, right? And like there's so many like that, right? Um, and the creative freedom for the f- director or for the for the People who are working on that is so theirs it's not you know it's not so um influenced by the acquirer right or or yeah, whoever's nice. like in you know, above them so I think that's a very refreshing thing, especially in tech because i don't oh. I don't know if they, there's there's any um other examples that I'm trying to you know think I'm, it, I'm drawing a blank. you know
0: that there's yeah. really good example that you will really like uh think of labels like the music uh, labels yes okay so Every single singer in the world mm. has, you know, he is a part or she is a part of the music label, but mm. we don't care about the label. Like, we mm. see the person to be, you know, right. myself and they look really independent, right? Mm. And they are independent. But then there is a label who takes care of all the stuff that, you know, no singer wants to take care of, like production right. of the, in all times, production of the CDs, right? And and now like distribution, et cetera. So I think uh, basically the label logic applied to tech world and mm. not just to the whole tech world, but actually to the indie world right? might be one of the biggest thing that's going to happen to the to the indie tech world in the next five ten years, why? Right. Because uh, you know, in that case, basically the whole indie world becomes like one large label that can just you know bait everyone who is like right. all the bait all the big corporations. Because otherwise, you know, the every single indie hacker is facing you know large corporation or VC funded startup, and that's not fair uh, battle, right? Right. And and here, like you know, there's an army. And uh, I think this is, like, I'm sure there will be a lot more than we doing this. Like, it, it'll be a really big thing soon, I'm, I'm pretty sure. And I'm seeing this happening now in Twitter uh, unofficially. I see these little labels, kind of like coalitions uh, popping up among, you know,
1: two, three, five, ten builders and makers. Right. And it makes sense to collaborate, right? Because then you have shared resources and shared distribution. Exactly. Right? I've been saying this even like in the, in the earlier sort of episodes of this podcast. I was just saying, I feel like one of the things that you, you will see is um, you we may see is creators who have an abundance of distribution collaborating with an indie hacker who loves product and loves sort of the creative side of it, but may not care about the distribution as much. That is a deadly combo because then you have someone exactly. like Alex who loves the details, the you know the the micro copy and like you know all the fine craftsmanship. And you have someone like me on the other side, you know, someone not just me, but like someone like me, yeah. who loves the distribution, like the the you know, flywheels and putting it out there in the world. So I think we'll see a lot more collapse like that happening. Um it'll hit the indie world. I don't think it fully hit the indie hacker world yet. Uh, but I think it'll hit soon.
0: I- I think in the world is a bit concerned about this. And yeah. their main concern is that, uh, you know, there's a pie and we we're having, you know, each our slice, mm-hmm. but what in the world has to understand is that uh, we can, it's not zero sum game. So we yeah. can actually all win because we're going to take the pie of the corporations.
1: And then, the, and we can expand the startups. pie too, right? We can yeah, expand the exactly. pie, pie is not a fixed thing, right? Exactly. Yeah. Um, I love it. So, so, Tell me about um, the other acquisition that you were part of, like a few years ago. you we were talking about there was an interesting story there. Tell us the tell us the full story.
0: Yeah, so I have uh, two stories, one quick and one uh, not that quick. So I will start with a quick one. So we, m- my first acquisition was in 2014. It was an icon project. So I just uh, wanted to buy a project. So I I made some money on uh, on startups, and then. Uh, I didn't know what to do with the money and I didn't want to buy a house or actually I bought a house and then I had some left and I thought like, I want to buy uh, a tech company. And back then the prices were really low, you know, like <laughs> for a million dollars, you could buy like a really good business back then. Now you can buy like, you know, barely profit, barely profitable startup. Uh, right. So, and we bought this, uh, so we, we looked at all these uh, marketplaces uh, where they sell stuff and we found one startup that had a million monthly uh, visitors. It was the Icon project, it was called Icon Search. It was like the Great. biggest Icon Search project back then. Wow. And we thought like, uh, since it has good traffic and people who look for icons are either developers or designers, so it's a good asset. Uh, we can you know build other stuff on that. Odins later. So we bought that. Uh, and then, uh, you know, our plans changed. So uh, we spent six months uh, doing improvements there. And then we realized that we don't want to really work with this stuff anymore because uh you know it was a lot more interesting stuff happening and it was just mm. icons um uh, mm. it was quite boring so we sold it after six months so we bought it for i don't really remember the price but we sold it for a double of that price which was good nice was um, good yeah that was like the short story so i kind of tasted this world and i liked it so i realized that uh at any given time there are quite a lot of good startups uh, that you can buy below uh, the market price because people just might say yes to an offer. Like you know, even those who don't think they want to say yes, you know, when they get the offer, they may say yes. Right. Uh, and, and then the the other project was uh, uh, I was building uh, this uh, platform to list your apartment uh, mm. for sale. So in Oslo, it's really expensive. Like you have to pay. Uh, a lot of money to sell your apartment, and then we wanted to make this system where you just kind of enter your address, it just finds the apartment, and then uh, you can uh, just complete the whole uh, process, sign the documents, etc. Right. So, it, and uh, we started that project in uh, November. So uh, it took us three months to build it. So it was released in mm-hmm. first of February, I think. And 15 days after, uh, two potential buyers came in. Nobody wow. expected that. We didn't <laughs> even have users. Uh, but we wow. were just very, very lucky. So basically what happened? Uh, that year, it was 2016 or 17. Uh, at that year, um, there was big hype among insurance companies that they have to have uh, some product, some digital product. Because they were kind of offline companies. They were selling insurance, kind of boring stuff. And then right. uh, I think there was an article from Deloitte or, or McKinsey, some big consultancy firms. And then all of these large insurance companies and, and banks read that. And then <laughs> they realized they have to build some product. And then they had just few options. Like one was... Uh, in the home buyer space, one was in the health space and one was in, in just consumer space. And because home buyer has mortgage, right? Yeah. Uh, so basically they realized that if they own the platform where people buy and sell housing, they can sell their mortgage there just it's by actually, default. It's
1: actually quite clever,
0: right? It's a quite clever move. Yeah. And uh, no, nobody thought of it uh, until that year. And that year, like, you know, somebody mentioned that and then everyone from the banks and insurance companies like that's a brilliant idea. <laughs> uh, and then uh, for them, you know, go and build this stuff. They have never built any digital product. Right. Uh, so some went and assembled the team and started building stuff and some just started looking for acquisitions. And there were a few in the market uh, who were doing this. Uh, so, uh and they came in and uh, they made an offer and then the other company made a contra offer and then this made a contra offer and then the whole thing was sold. Right? It was not a lot of money. I think it was uh, back then like over $5 million. So it's... Uh, That's a lot uh, even back then, right? Yeah. Uh, well, it's not like a billion dollar exit, right? Yeah. So it is uh, just $5 million. but for the time it took to build a project yeah. and also for the potential like, uh, you know, fast forward, didn't work like uh, yeah none of those projects worked out why because when people sell the house it's such a expensive and important thing Mm -hmm. that they trust a person right they don't want to save you know money when the apartment price is like a half million dollar and saving one thousand dollars is like doesn't make sense right Mm -hmm. so um, and we had that feeling uh that's why kind of. uh, everyone agreed to to sell because, uh, you know, sometimes you do stuff you don't believe in 100%,
1: basically. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, that was a remarkable ones... stroke, stroke of luck, though, like you said. Yeah, exactly. Right? It, it was yeah. lucky.
0: And you, you just have, sometimes have to build stuff. Uh, and, you know, you might be just lucky and sell it. So it's not always, right. you know, things make sense.
1: Yeah. Um, I also want to... Um, <laughs> uh, I also want to note here that this is still a million dollar exits podcast, John. You're raising the ceiling. To oh, it's, it's a million. All right, so all right. I, I want to do a new a series called a Billion Dollar Exits, and I'll bring you in for that one. Let's get it. Um so tell us tell us a little bit about sort of where where what are your thoughts on sort of the current acquisition market? You know, because um, you're looking at a lot of marketplaces like acquire.com, which is microacquire, right? I brought um Brought the founder uh, Gazdecki, Andrew Gazdecki, on the on the show. Um, there's, you know, he he was talking about sort of the rise now. There's a rise of activity, right, from both buyers and sellers about acquisitions. Yeah. Um, I'm not so deep into Flippa and other things, but I feel like from what I'm looking at Twitter, um, between Microns, there's another one which I yeah. think you're looking at. So Microns acquire and a few others. I feel like this is the time to build something to sell, right? Which is a great period. I feel like it's blowing up you know what are your thoughts on on where we are yeah
0: i think the acquisition market will uh, you know grow a lot more than a lot of people expect uh and the main reason is this so in old times uh there were very few people building startups so the Mm. distribution was easy actually Mm. like Mm. the the stuff i built before 2015 we never really had a struggle of distribution. Like no, now uh, all the jokes are about like, people won't come to use your product, go and market. Like we didn't have that problem back then. Like actually people would come and use your product. Like we <laughs> launched this first uh, movie app in, in, in the app store. And it was like the first of its kind, just because, you know, it, now you have everything in the world, but back then, like some things were missing. So right. and we we just got users. No, we launch it and in the months we have seventy thousand users. Like now nobody yeah. gonna find your app, right? Yeah. So so because of that, now uh it's really hard to find people who are good at both distribution and building. Right. That's why people who are good at building, like we partly solve the problem, right? Like by mm-hmm. by putting them together and set right. But in the outside world, people who are good at building, they tend to you know, uh, not fall in love with distribution. So they can kind of yeah. try, they get some little MRR, et cetera. And then they feel like, uh, I want to get back to building. Uh, mm. but, but it's not the right way to do, right? You have to actually market it. And then for them, selling it to someone who is the opposite is great for everyone, right? Somebody right. buys that stuff and then, you know, falls in love with marketing sales. It's great. This guy goes back and builds new stuff, like, you right. you see now people who sell something on uh, Acquire.com etc. They sell a lot
1: of stuff. Like I barely yeah. see a
0: person selling just one project. Like you know fourth, fifth, seventh, eight. Like it's kind of like it's
1: kind of addicting in a way. Just once you get the high of oh I, I see the journey now I'm like going, I want to go back and do this again. Yeah exactly. And on the buyer
0: side, it's also great. Look like if you want to test you know this this uh, builder world like you want to build some stuff and you are not developer yourself that's the worst place to be. Like now we are having this no code stuff and you can learn, but not everyone you know, wants to do that. And if right. you don't learn some way to build stuff and you just outsource it or hire mm-hmm. people, that's like uh, the best way to fail,
1: right? Like right. I, I almost never seen that work. Like yeah. almost never. I have a personal experience. And <laughs> I, 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 I had a tragic failure story in 2017 where I spent 17 or $18,000, John, on an outsourced agency yeah. build an mvp which took eight months which i think should have been the signal, uh but so i wasted eight months and then almost 20k um which now in 2023 i could just go and buy something from you know from uh, acquire any of these places and then just market them right um exactly so you know it's yeah
0: it's a good synergy and uh the iteration speed goes up and uh you know if you're if you're a tiny influencer or or large influencer, and you have a, you know twenty thousand dollars, you can actually buy a couple of projects and test them whether your audience you know buys it. And then if if they buy, then you put more money into improving that stuff. Right.
1: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think like over time, as, as sort of with an abundance of projects, um, over time, what I think will tend to happen is it's kind of like how before the internet, like in real life, right in the in the sort of in real businesses, um, what do you call them? Um, brick and mortar businesses. Yeah. A lot of that activity is about buying and selling, right? Like nobody ever goes and starts a brand new um, brick and mortar store from scratch. They usually, like usually, like there's. it's very common for someone to just buy a gas station, right? They know, they don't go and like install the gas station themselves. I mean, rarely they do, but generally they just go and buy a gas station, you know, or a 7-Eleven or some convenience store or something and then, you run away from there or do something else. So, but it like that kind of activity is very common: buying, selling, buying, selling, flipping, or whatever. Right. Um, same thing with houses, right? Yeah. People like buy and sell all the time, right? Multifamily homes. Secondary market apartments. is
0: uh, often you know greater than uh, building stuff from. Storage. Right.
1: So, which which I think has never really hit the tech world um, because it was only limited to like you know very very high end. Acquisitions like you know twenty thirty forty million dollar acquisitions. Yeah. I feel like now as it's coming down to affordable acquisitions, you know, I think we're going to see a yeah. lot more people try it. But you know
0: uh, why it never happened before? Like uh, I mm. think the main reason why these small acquisitions never happened before is that uh, we didn't have non-developers. Yeah. In this world, and developers don't really buy other code because they kind of you know, they have opinions about code. Yeah, right? they feel like I can do this on a weekend, yes, right? They're exactly. Like, I can build exactly. It? <laughs> exactly. Like, if you don't think so, you're not a developer, Hacker right?
1: <laughs> the number of people on Hacker News website who think that they could build the next Dropbox in on a weekend yeah, is yeah. the proof that they don't hey, think of a distribution. Yeah, hey, Exactly. And, and now we have people less technical. And mm. for
0: them, like, they just don't like the coding stuff. They yeah. just want to get, you know, work
1: done. And then yeah. if
0: zero work is better than any work, right? Any work, yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that is so true, though. Developers are the most, one of the most opinionated you know, sets of people. We, we, I love them. I'm sure you're one of them, right? But yeah. it's just objectively, they're very like, it's kind of like a chefs, you know, like when, when yeah, the chefs don't exactly. like anybody else's cooking, you know, they trash exactly. them. They're, yeah. like, they're very opinionated. Um, so that's funny, man. Um, so t- actually, let's go to, let's go to AI. I really um, have to do justice to Alex's request of me getting to ask you the AI questions. It, he, he, he put this in my ear that you've been in some fashion working on some you know, AI for definitely more than the last four or five years. So I, I kind of want to understand yeah. where did you catch that bug? Where did you get you know, started about you know, being curious about it? And kind of walk us through the journey you know, through your lens and where is it going you know, in your view? Yeah. So AI was my, you know, uh, my first thing to
0: ever do in the tech world basically. So uh, Really? My, when was that? Yeah, it was like 20 uh 2006. Wow! It was university. So my my project for the bachelor was OCR. So we were, I I was making this uh, neural network to recognize Mm -hmm. handwritten text. Mm -hmm. And I did that because uh, I was so lazy to go to lectures and my friends went and I wanted to scan what they write there uh, (laughs) because I couldn't read. You know, it's like when people write that the handwritten text is impossible to read if it's not yours. Right. Right. And and then... uh, I really wanted to have the application that can do that. And there was just two in the world back then. It was AdBee and Adobe. Like, they had this, and it cost, like, fortune. Like, back then, everything was really expensive, like, the application right. stuff. Um, and you had to buy a license, and it was, like, huge app, etc. And I thought, like, you know, I can try to make one for myself, and, you know, everybody would love it uh, because everybody would benefit from it. Um, and I started building, uh, and you know, I I was the type of developer who thought that he <laughs> can, can build, build that in a weekend. In a weekend. <laughs> yeah. Oh,
1: that's so on point.
0: Yeah. Yeah, but actually, uh, you know, I built it quite fast uh, because you know, like at a certain age, at a certain you know time, like you're extremely productive. Like back then, I was like crazy productive, and I I just said on my chair like for 40 hours straight from friday to monday morning i remember and i had first version it was like you know three layers of the neural network and it was uh, doing fine it had like 80 percent accuracy which is fine but it's bad like, you right. you can't really read the text still if it's 80% right. because right. Uh, it misses the important words, not the not important. But then um, I realized that I have to have a project for my bachelor eventually. So I just take this and I just, you know, uh, keep going with it. And I did that. So I just keep kept going with that since 2005, actually, until 2009, when I finished university. So for four years, I've been building this. So, and I had to learn everything about AI because it was, um, uh, you know, I ended up actually uh, building an algorithm where I had a couple of neural networks doing independent work. I had other algorithms and I would exercise all of them. And then I would get this, uh, you know, uh, guesses from all of them about this word, for example. And then if two of them agree, I would say, then that's the word, right? And that was quite right. a cool approach, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I came uh, almost to like 98% accuracy, wow. where Fine Reader uh, and Adobe were 99, no, 98.4. So it was like 1% difference. Right. When I presented that uh, at my, you know, at the, at the day where you present your stuff uh, to the committee, pe- people didn't believe. They thought <laughs> I made up the number. Uh, so I had to actually run the whole thing to show that it actually works I, I even asked them write something write as bad as you can so it was really good stuff that worked but you know my, uh, I kind of regret that I was too young because I had no idea like, like believe me or not I had no idea that I could actually build a business out of it I was
1: really. going to say but, that you could have turned that into a company
0: yeah obviously I just I didn't have a slight little idea like zero at all like it never came to my head I thought, right. I'm studying, right? right? This is for study. <laughs> right? And that was kind of sad. And you know, I don't even have the program anymore. After study, I just deleted everything because right. it was finally, I finished this university. right? right? <laughs> and then um, I did some more stuff with AI. So my next project was uh, called Ames AI. So it's kind of a big stuff now. Uh, it's the biggest monitoring software in the world, I think now. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was my first big startup. So I was uh, doing all the tech there, and the whole project was about monitoring complicated systems such as uh, banking systems, ATMs, like the systems where you have thousands or ten thousand of different kind of uh, components w- which are offline, like mm. which are physical connected to the digital, right? And uh, in that world, basically, uh, you don't know if somebody. If something is broken, until somebody calls you and says this shit is broken, right? Right. Uh, Because now you have cameras, et cetera, but back then it was just standing, like a vending machine, for example. You have no idea if it works or not. Right. Right. And then what what, what, what we built, uh, we built a software that was monitoring everything that's happening with that machine. Now the sales, uh, the time it takes, like all the parameters, everything, Mm. all the numbers. So now right. they called big data big data didn't exist back then that word but uh, we kind of did that so we were collecting a lot of data everything in the raw data we were applying these uh, regression models and neural networks on that da- on top of that and we were predicting the behavior of all those uh, you know points and then whenever we see deviation from that prediction we would say uh, something is wrong there and then we would correlate that uh, deviation with the previous historical data and then we would kind of uh, confidently say that this machine is broken because at this time of the day um, you know uh, at that hour uh, it's strange that it's selling so little or or something like that and mm. it was like huge it was really huge right. uh, we got clients uh, who were like those this uh, vending companies and atm and uh, on all the stuff that has, you know, the large corporations, basically. Right. Uh, and for them, uh, it was saving a lot of money because they wouldn't have the machine that, that stays for weeks and they don't know it's broken, right? Mm-hmm. Because the problem is that some machine can still work. Let's say you, you, can, you can buy soda, but you can't buy the chocolate bar. Mm. And you can't know that, like, well, people buy some stuff there, right? Nobody's going to, like look at every machine and compare like what they sold yesterday and today right mm. but except for managing the data yeah except the data will yeah. tell you the
1: truth yeah
0: yeah exactly so that was the second project and then the third project was uh the movie recommendation system so the, the, that 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 was is like this the, is
1: this the film grain film grail yeah yeah oval oh, grail sorry yeah I, yeah I think i saw the website of that that was pretty cool yeah is it, it still, it was is it still going uh well Now it's
0: uh, in the B2B space. So basically we built software and it's white labeled and then it's running as that brand. So it's big. It has 15 million users using all that kind of, you know, white label software combined. So it's it's very big. And uh, but back then we were doing just an app that helps you find a movie to watch. Right, that was kind of mm. our first app that we made. That got seventy thousand views, and we got the best app of the wow. year back then. And it was so good because we have built this uh, AI model that could basically uh, recommend you a movie that's really good, right? And, mm. and it's not that easy. Like now, it's really easy. Now everybody knows how to recommend stuff. Like you go to Netflix, right. and they are quite good at it. But back then, right. Netflix was just a catalog. Right? Yeah, like everything yeah. was just a catalog, and we just scraped all the catalogs. Netflix, iTunes, uh, you know, rot- uh, HBO, everything. And then we just put it all together and then we you know, get all the data about you, about your friends, about you. Like back then, Facebook could give you everything. So we would yeah. just take everything about you from Facebook and then we would just run the models and then we say like, this movie is really good. But then if you're watching that with your girlfriend, for example, we would just take both of you and make the model for both of you and then say like, this movie is good for both of you. Like you're gonna like them both. So yeah, the, those three projects I worked and it was quite heavy use of AI uh, before uh, like anyone was really using yeah, it. Yeah, so
1: w- when you look at the, the latest sort of uh, application of AI now, which ChatGPT GPT um, and you know, DALI and all this, what, what do you feel yeah. now? Like, um, well, where, where in, do you think this is going, yeah.
0: Yeah, in 2018, uh, we start using, or 2019, we start using GPT-2 it was yeah wow GPT-2, uh, and that was Mars. under
1: it was not open for anyone i think right yeah That's it was of...
0: like the beta we applied uh since GPT one and then we only got in uh and we were using it and and we built quite cool stuff on top of that and we were quite amazed but it was kind of uh you know uh it was failing too often to use it for for things people use it now so it yeah. would give you good outcome uh once and then wouldn't give again and then it gives you like it was not stable basically you couldn't really ask it to produce json for example reliably back then right. so you would have to build some stuff to parse what it you know outputs but still uh we kind of liked it and then uh you know when i was starting with the vision of mars uh so we were kind of confident that uh we have to build a system that right. lets you reuse microbes and then like the main concern for you reusing microbes is that what if the microbe doesn't fit my need like it's kind of almost but not exactly and right. then my idea was that uh we will actually manage to get microbes to be able to rebuild themselves using ai so you just say uh you know you have a microbe for e-commerce or for reviews for example and you want to change the, that somehow and you just tell that w- what you want to the microbe because you don't want to kind of you know dig into the code it's not your micro app so you just ask it using ai and then it just you know reassembles itself and it's wow. new it's it's just for you so we had that vision from the beginning that's why we kind of made a high bet on apps because we knew that eventually when ai gets very powerful uh, this combo will be really good and then uh, the time went on and then in uh, last year uh, when gpt3 came in uh, we st- we connected gpt3 with apps. Uh, and it was amazing so yeah like the moment i run it i remember that uh it was just really good and they and i had this lamp blink in my head like yeah like uh, ai world has come to where <laughs> i want that world to come right but that right. was before the hype and i yeah. felt like a madman i remember like you can ask alex i was like telling everyone like like we have to do everything with ai and i like people just thought i'm crazy because they all use siri and they thought like well uh, we saw ai it's yeah. <laughs> it's not that good <laughs> right <laughs> yeah but you know what i did i built a lot of stuff with ai last year and i used it since then and i think that was kind of one of the main reasons uh, why everything I do grew up so well since then. Mm-hmm. So basically, I built this little project. I don't have a name for. So it's kind of agents where you uh, program an agent with the prompts and AI, and then the agent behaves like you programmed. Like I, I have a lawyer agent. I have accountant. I have developer. I have oh. myself, etc. Um, wow. Yeah, and I used that since then, and you know it made me like. 10 or 20 times more productive Uh, and you know we have no people in the company who are not developers now we have no lawyers no accountants like no (laughs) almost no support people everything is done by ai everything so we're extremely productive and
1: we're doing that for a long time like since Mm. the beginning of the last year where do you where do you think is the biggest opportunity in the ai land now for like for for the listeners who are like just thinking about okay i want to build something in the next six months or the next uh, three months where, where do you think are some open gaps or open areas that you want to explore? I think it's UX.
0: I think wow. people should try to come up with really clever ideas with UX because I wouldn't say there is any solution yet to the UX on top of AI. Like there are a lot of attempts. Uh, you know, Notion is doing well. Everybody copies Notion, but it is not still like limited use. It works well for the documents, but if you look at almost everything else, like coding where we are doing that stuff yeah like that's uh uh you know not working that well like most developers don't use it but the way we use it you know mm-hmm. it's, it's different from everyone else but then there are more simple stuff like for example uh the regular stuff like accounting lawyers uh, chiefs you know cooking little businesses that you can just go to the 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 bakery business and and see how you can apply uh, ai with a good ux there so it's a lot of opportunities and i would focus on not sexy one
1: yeah I, i mean that's no that's that's a smart sort of distinction right but if i were to ask you like from a layman point of view one thing that i feel like i'm struggling right now is when i see the demos i'm blown away but i when i try to use um, oh, when I go into my, user, my, my normal routines, I feel like it still hasn't yeah. percolated into my user yeah. habits. You know, but but I, I'm, a, I'm like mainstream, sort of layman, you know, not a very early adopter, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I am early in a way, but like compared to my wife, right? But yeah. um, compared to maybe you and Alex who are living in the AI world, I feel like that is the, that is the, dis, the challenge I'm having. Even with, I'm, I'm a paying customer for ChatGPT, but I rarely use it, you mm-hmm. know? It feels like a very powerful toy, but it's not integrating into my workflows, and that's been a that's been a challenge. Yeah. Like-
0: and that's UX. Like you have to mm. copy and paste stuff, right? Yeah. You have to wait for stuff. You have mm. to remember where exactly and how exactly you have to write that. So I think there is like enormous amount of uh, you know possibilities to do good UX on top, and I would just not recommend anyone to do anything deep tech there because that's just too complicated uh and uh, you need resources but ux is easier but when you do ux try to do something that's not that you know uh, obvious or not that popular because if it's so popular most likely uh the bigger brands will just include that as a feature you know like yeah. do not build uh, a product for g for for the email right like, yeah. like gmail will <laughs> come with that gmail one, right? will compete yeah superhuman yeah. is there already like with there. yeah so just just don't un- enter that but they're like other like the second wave uh, yeah. where like Google will not build anything for the bakeries, right, mm. <laughs> or mm. uh, et cetera. So I would just go there and, and I see people doing that. And if you look at the uh, in the world and the race of uh, Indies, um, this year it's crazy. Like I see people who were who struggling to get any uh, MRRs for years and they built quite a little good app on top of AI. Uh, some people say it's a wrapper, but who cares? And they, right. they're they making like, you know, five or $10,000 a month.
1: Yeah. I mean, some popular examples, like I mean, Danny Postman, like um, Levels I/O, they've gone into, yeah. I think, Photo AI is one of them. And the other one's like the, uh, I forgot what the other one is. But I feel like there was an interior design AI tool, right? Yeah, it's, yeah. It's a little niche compared to mainstream. And it's a pretty good MRR, both of them. So I think, yeah, I think I agree to your point about, you know, look at some of the boring niches or unexpected niches um, and then build, build, build AI tools for them. Yeah, fascinating. Um, all right, so I know we're almost at the end of the hour. Uh, I feel like I could go for another hour <laughs> with you, John. It's been a blast. Uh, I want to say thank you so much for being on the show and for such a delightful, reflective conversation. You know, I, I learned a lot and, you know, I feel like we gave some playbooks for, for the listeners too, so thank you.
0: Yeah, thanks for your chat, KP. Invite me again
1: after one year. Maybe I
0: have something new to say.
1: Yes, I would would love to have you back again soon, all right? All the very best with Mars and all the other projects. Yeah, same to you. Thank you.